good evening, Watermark family. I hope that all is well. Again, thank you so much for flexing and joining us at 4 p.m. on a Saturday. My name is Timothy Atik, and if we've never been together, I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Watermark, and it's just good to see you. You're gonna find something out right now just about me that uh, you can judge me for, but uh, I spend a lot of time at home in my home office. That's where I do the majority of writing for my sermons for uh, Watermark, and so in my home office, there are two bookshelves that just sit in front of me uh, all day, every day, We moved to Dallas back in January, and when we moved, there were certain things that made their way onto those bookshelves, and I realized as I was preparing for this message that there were certain things that ended up on those bookshelves that just kind of moved in and made themselves at home. Like, they don't belong there, but that has somehow become their home. And so I just want to show you some of the things that I picked up from these bookshelves that really just don't belong. There's obviously, there's a lint roller. It uh, seems like that's, that's just the place that it goes, is on those bookshelves. This is a sack of my ties. Here, I, I clearly don't wear ties often. I wear one tie. If I'm officiating a wedding or a funeral, it's the same tie every time. These are just there in a, grocery sack on my bookcase. That's what these are. There's a, uh, a used Amazon gift card. There is instructions to the golf tee game from Cracker Barrel. You know that game that's on the table? Well, I've got the instructions on how to beat it. For some reason, that has been living on my bookshelf for like eight months, so I can sense the judgment, but that's just reality. There's a fishing license You might be like, oh, TA fishes? No, I don't, okay? I had this for the one time that my father-in-law wanted to take my kids fishing, and I was along for the ride. Uh, There's an iPhone 6. This is going to the Smithsonian tomorrow, but it's been on my bookshelf for the last several months. And then I cannot tell you where this came from, but this is a cedar block that keeps moths away. I've truly never seen this in my life until... I grabbed it for this message about two hours ago. These are some of the things that have been on my bookshelf for several months now. They've just kind of moved in and made themselves at home, and there's kind of a reason for that. One of the reasons is that we've been renting, and so we just kind of threw stuff in knowing that we were gonna move soon. Uh, But the reality is, as I looked at those things, I was like, okay, these things have found a home, and yet they just don't belong. And some of you see that and you can't, you, you can't fathom that. Like you're a neat freak and everything has its place and if something is out of place, you feel it and can't sit still. Others of you just want to challenge you. Like when you get in your car, just look around. See what has found a home in your car for a long time. Like open up your trunk and just see what's in there. Or go to your office Uh, or your kitchen or your living room, just look around. Like for you, that's just where it lives. Other people would show up and be like, why is there a hockey stick in your kitchen? It doesn't make sense. And you're like, that's where it goes. Like that, it's just found, it's found a home. And the reason I tell you that is because uh, we're gonna step into the scriptures this afternoon and we're gonna look at this story where Jesus is going to step into the house of God 
And he's going to identify some things in the house of God which have made themselves at home that just don't belong. And what it's going to do is it's going to allow us to have a conversation about this church. And it's going to allow us just to identify, hey, are there some things here at Watermark that have just kind of settled in and made themselves at home, but they just, they don't really belong here. And then it's going to allow us to turn inward and look inwardly just to the, to the how, homes of our souls and just evaluate, hey, are there some things that have made themselves at home in our lives that just don't belong? The goal of this message is health. In order for us to have our best days ahead with Jesus here at Watermark, or in order for us to have our best days ahead individually with Jesus, we have to pursue Health, we have to be willing to look around and just see, are there things that have made themselves at home in our lives that just don't belong? So if you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to turn with me this evening to John chapter two. John chapter two is where we're going to be. Now, if you've been at Watermark the last couple weeks, you know that we are in a series through the book of Genesis. But we're pushing pause on that because of Awaken Weekend. And what I wanna do is I wanna share with with our church family, the message that I'm going to be sharing with young adults tomorrow morning. And as I prepared to speak to young adults this weekend, it was just clear, hey, this is a message that the people of Watermark need to hear. And it kind of fits perfectly with one of our strategic initiatives that we are leaning into as a church, that we want to deepen our theology of God and his church. And my hope is that as we look at John chapter 2, it would do that for us. John chapter 2, starting in verse 13, here's what it says. It says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so this is a story about Jesus stepping into the house of God, the temple of God, and identifying things that don't belong, and he ends up driving them out. And we see Jesus kind of go dude perfect rage monster like in the temple. And so let me just tell you this. Anytime you're reading your Bible or studying it, pay attention to the times where Jesus shows great emotion because when you pay attention to those moments, what you're seeing is what Jesus really cares about. So anytime Jesus feels a deep sadness or deep compassion or he is amazed at someone's faith, pay attention to that because you're seeing what Jesus Christ truly values. Now this is a story, as I said, about Jesus cleansing the temple. And what we are going to see is Jesus Christ cares deeply about the temple. And what I want you to realize is that Jesus cares deeply about the temple and so should we. That's where I wanna start. Jesus Christ cares deeply about the temple and so should we. Now, that might sound weird to you because 
when you think of temple, you might think that me referring to the temple is me referring to basically church for Jews, but that's really not what I'm referring to. When you see temple, or when we talk about the temple, what you should think about most is the presence of God. Because if you were to go and study the Bible, you would see that, that the temple is basically synonymous with the presence of God. It starts all the way back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, the Garden of Eden is considered the garden temple. And so the garden temple in Genesis, what do we see? We see God walking with Adam and Eve. He is there. God in the Garden of Eden is declaring, I'm, I'm here. And then when God leads the nation of Israel out of slavery to Egypt and he begins to lead them through the wilderness, he commands them to erect the tabernacle and the presence of God fills the tabernacle. And that was how God declared to the nation of Israel, I'm here. And then when they entered the promised land, King Solomon built a permanent tabernacle known as Solomon's temple. And the presence of God filled Solomon's temple and God declared, I'm here. And so when, you, when we talk about the temple, what we are most specifically talking about is we are talking about the presence of God, okay? So uh, here's what I want you to see. In verse 13, look at what it says. It says this, it says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, okay? So the Passover was a very important time of year for Jews to come together. It was a national holiday and a national celebration where uh, people would come to Jerusalem to remember what God did when he delivered them from slavery, captivity to Egypt. And some commentators believe that the 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 population in Jerusalem at Passover would swell to about 250,000 people, okay? And so here's what I want you to understand, okay? Imagine about 250,000 people are flooding Jerusalem, and when people would come to Jerusalem where the temple of God was, it was said that they were coming to where God lived, and so you have 250,000 people who are coming to, in a sense, meet with God and celebrate all God has done. So it's kind of like Awaken Weekend. You have, you have people coming from all over the Roman Empire. You have people coming from everywhere to meet with God. And, and God is there. That's where his presence resides. And so there's this anticipation that, that there's going to be spiritual highs. It's like the last night of camp where everyone puts their trust in Jesus again and everyone declares, I'm never gonna sin again for the rest of my life. And the young adults are leaving saying, oh, Jesus wrecked me in the best of ways that weekend. Like that, that is what should be happening at Passover. So you have all these people coming to town. And Jesus shows up, and what does he find? Verse 14 says, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Now, let me just give you the background on this. He first sees people that are selling animals. That wasn't a bad thing. The reason that they were selling animals is because 
uh, people would come to make sacrifices to God. But people are coming from all over the Roman Empire, and so instead of people having to, to drag a lamb halfway across the Roman Empire to Jerusalem or carry their pigeons on a long journey, no, the, the leaders are just making it easier, and so they sell animals for people to purchase to make sacrifice. And then there were money changers. That wasn't a bad thing. The reason that there were money changers is because uh, there was one type of, of coin that was to be offered as a temple tax. And so every Jewish male over 20 years old was supposed to pay. And so there was one type of coin. It was, it was the most um, costly type of coin. But you have all these different currencies from around the Roman Empire that are coming. And so what they have is they have money changers that would take foreign currency and they would change it out for the correct currency. And yet Jesus shows up and he is extremely frustrated. Here's what it says he does. Verse 15, it says, and making a whip of cords. That, that's hilarious to me. Like he, he makes a whip on the spot. Like he shows up, he's like, you bring a whip? No? He's just like sitting there like, you know, it's like he, he I don't know what you would use to make a whip, but I just find it fascinating that he makes an impromptu whip. And what does he do? He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And what did he told, tell them? He told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So Jesus shows up and he is furious. Why? It's not because of what they are doing. It's because of where they are doing it. That's the issue. It's not what they're doing because they're offering a service, but it's, it's where they are doing it. Let me ask you this. Uh, by show of hands, who here has had their quiet time before in Walmart on Black Friday? Anyone? You have? How was it? Was it amazing? Okay. Um, anyone here had their quiet time at a petting zoo? No? How about at Six Flags? Like you're just right in the middle of your favorite ride, anyone? No, why? Because it's not the most conducive place to meet with God. That's why D.A. Carson, the one who wrote the leading commentary on the Gospel of John said this, instead of solemn dignity in the murmur of prayer, there's the bellowing of cattle in the bleeding of sheep. Instead of brokenness and contrition, holy adoration and prolonged petition, there's noisy commerce. See, the issue isn't what they were doing, it's just where they were doing it. See, they, they prioritized convenience and attendance. What's interesting is at this point in time, the presence of God had departed from the temple, but for the leaders, the religious leaders, it was business as usual. They continued to conduct their services. They continued to host Passover without 
any awareness that the presence of God had left, had left the temple. And so Jesus shows up to a generation that had no value for the presence of God. And what does he do? He begins to clean house. He begins to get every, rid of everything that doesn't belong, okay? So remember what my point was, okay? My point was this. Jesus cares deeply about the temple, and so should we. And so at this point, what I've shown you is that Jesus cares deeply about the temple. Now, a question that you should be asking is, why should I care about the temple, okay? I understand why Jesus cared about the temple, but why should I care about a structure that is actually no longer standing in a country where I do not live? Okay, well, we're, we're getting there. Because after Jesus makes an impromptu whip and drives things out of the temple, he has a conversation with the religious leaders. Listen to what it says, verse 18. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? That's interesting. What they are not doing is they're not saying, how dare you do this? What they're saying is, hey, who gave you permission? Like, what authority do you have to do this? They're asking because they might be realizing, hey, it's possible that we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing, but we need to know who gives you the authority to show up and do this. And what does Jesus say? Jesus answered them, this is why you should care about the temple. Dial in. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? John, the author, gives us clarity. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So this is very interesting because they're like, hey, who gives you the authority to show up and drive all these things out? And what does he say? He says, hey, destroy this body, and it will be raised up in three days. What's Jesus doing? He's talking about his own body He's, he's making a declaration that the temple of God is transitioning from a building to a body. That the temple of God is no longer a building, but the presence of God on earth is now residing in the person of Jesus Christ. And the, the leaders don't realize what he's talking about, but Jesus is actually talking about his death on the cross, and then his resurrection from the dead. And the imagery is very important because the temple was the place where the high priest would go once a year to make atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. And so one person, the high priest, was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, this very special room. He was only able to enter it one time a year. And as I said a few weeks ago, he'd wear a rope around his ankle and enter the presence of God, and he wore a rope in case he died in the presence of God. People could pull him out without having to go in after him. But when the high priest was in the Holy of Holies, what he would do is he would take the blood of an animal and he would sprinkle it on the altar to make atonement for the sins of Israel. When Jesus says, destroy this temple as a reference to his body, what he's saying is it's no longer the blood of an animal 
that will make atonement for the sins of Israel because my blood will be shed to make atonement for all those who had put their trust in Christ. It's no longer a high priest making provision for the nation of Israel once a year. Jesus Christ is making provision once and for all for all those who had put their trust in, in him. So Jesus is saying the temple is transitioning from a building to a body. But here's the thing. Again, my point is Jesus cares deeply about the temple and so should you. So should we. But if you're doing the math, then what you should be thinking is, okay, so Jesus did die and his body was raised from the dead, but then he ascended into heaven. So he's no longer even here on earth. So why should we care about the temple, Jesus' body, if it's no longer here on earth? Well, maybe a transition back to the physical temple. Well, the physical temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So there's no longer a building or a body. So drum roll, please, okay? This is why I say Jesus cared deeply about the temple, and so should we listen to what the Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Watch it. Don't miss it. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So here's what you need to understand. The Apostle Paul, we just studied the book of 1 Corinthians for five months. But the Apostle Paul is looking at the people of God who make up the local church in Corinth. And when he says you, that you in the Greek is plural. He's saying you, the collective people of God, are now the temple of God. So temple is now a reference to the universal church, the the people of God all over the world make up the the temple of God. But the temple of God is most most clearly seen and reflected in local communities, local churches. So we here at Watermark Community Church, when we gather together like right now, we collectively are the temple of God. So here's the question that we need to answer. If Jesus were to walk into the temple of God, which is not the building of Watermark, but the people of Watermark, if he were to walk in right now, what would his response be? Would Jesus look around at all of us, worshiping, studying the word? Would he walk in and be like, that's what I'm talking about? Like, is that, would that be his response? Or would there be things that Jesus looks at and drives out because there's things in us here at Watermark that have made themselves at home yet don't belong. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to, I want to identify some things that could potentially make their way onto the bookshelves of our church that kind of find a home that don't, that don't belong. If we're not careful if we're not careful, it, it's good to realize we are the temple collectively, okay? So let's just be clear on that, okay? We are the temple 
collectively. So as the temple collectively, let me just encourage us, we have to be careful because our tendency can be to prioritize convenience over God's presence, okay? Our tendency can be to prioritize convenience over God's presence. So let me just identify how convenience can be a temptation for you and how it can be a temptation for me and for those in leadership here at Watermark. The reason that convenience can be a temptation for you over God's presence is because the way that that might manifest itself is that you just begin to think, you know what, I'll go to church when I can go. But you know what, Saturday night, we had a late night, and uh, you know what, it'd just be easier to catch the stream at home. So that the temptation would be to, to minimize the importance of gathering together with everyone else who collectively makes up the temple of God. And there's kind of this, this movement these days where people believe, you know what, I'll just, I'll catch the stream, I'll catch the podcast when it works for me. What you're doing is you're prioritizing convenience. Do you know how, what the temptation will be for me and for others in leadership? Well, here's what you need to understand. When you listen to church consultants or those who are talking about the future of the church, like I read one this week, do you know what he said? He said, here's the way church is going and you better get on board and if you don't get on board, what you're going to see is, is your church declining. What do we need to get on board with? On-demand church. That's what he was saying. He's saying, you know what? This is the future of the church. The future of the church is on-demand attendance will trump live attendance. And if you can't get on board with that, you're going to see decline. And so our tendency in leadership can be to prioritize convenience. Okay, well, it, it, we, we need to give people what is most convenient for them, which is on-demand online church and not calling the temple of God, the people of God together. Another way that we as leadership could be tempted to prioritize convenience over God's presence is there's these statistics coming out about Generation Z, the next generation of worshipers. And what it's saying is that Generation Z's attention span is now down to eight seconds, which is shorter than a goldfish. And so you know what the temptation can be in leadership? The temptation can be, okay, well then, how do we cater to that short attention span? So we need to make our services as short as possible. We need to make our messages as short as possible. We need to make the worship set as short as possible. We need to be as efficient as possible in worship so that we don't lose people in their attention. So we will make things as convenient as possible just to make sure that we cater to a shorter attention span. And so that, that will be our temptation. Or even this, like because biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high right now, meaning people don't know their Bibles or understand it, you know what the temptation will be? And this is happening. Is that the temptation will be that we need less Bible and just more inspirational self-help. So like, I'm gonna give you a verse. So I'm gonna read a verse for 30 seconds and then I'm just gonna kind of 
host a pep rally for 10 to 15 minutes of excitement and you can do it and just go out and try harder and you're amazing. And so if we're not careful, like we'll cater to that. And, and if we're not careful, like our spiritual stomachs are gonna shrink so small that when, when we open up the word of God and we teach the word of God, people sit there and like, ah, it just feels like too much. When God's word is, is satisfying and it's, it holds the, the truth to, to life and joy with Jesus. Another thing that we need to be careful of is the fact that our tendency might be to prioritize attendance over God's presence. See, that's what the leaders did at the temple. The, the leaders at the temple prioritized they, they prioritized convenience. That's why they had the money changers and those selling animals in the temple. But they also prioritized attendance. It was just about getting people there. They didn't cr- care about creating an atmosphere or environment where people could worship. They just cared about getting people there. And if we're not careful, we can prioritize attendance over God's presence. Do you know what that can look like for us in leadership? You know what the temptation would be? The temptation would be to look at the fact that on Sunday mornings, this place has been jam-packed. Like we've had more people showing up here than since the pandemic. And so our temptation can be to look at that and just celebrate that. But attendance only tells us how many people showed up. Attendance doesn't tell us whether the Spirit of God moved in people's lives or not. So it'd be a huge miss for us to celebrate people showing up. When there, if there's a lack of stories coming in of God moving. And the temptation for you will be that showing up is what matters. Like at least I made it. So you're, you're, you're kind of flying in hot, kind of getting your kids chucked in. You're, you're running 10 to 15 minutes late, but it's like, you know what, worship's going on, but I still haven't got my coffee, so you go get your coffee, and then you're texting your friends, making sure you find where your friends are, and so you kind of, you, you miss all of worship, and then uh, when you do get in for that one or two songs, like you click into autopilot worship, where you're singing, but your mind is elsewhere, so it's like, Waymaker, mir- oh yeah, I gotta uh, text him back. Uh, promise keeper, oh, you know what? Keynes uh, is gonna be amazing today after church. It's like you're, you're, you're singing, but you're not really there. But you know what? At least I'm here. But if we look at this story, do you know what we see? What we see, if we see anything, is that Jesus despises attendance without worship. He despises attendance without worship. And then I'll just identify one more tendency. Our tendency will be to prioritize preference over God's presence. And so we, there's kind of just this movement, and I saw it a lot in college ministry, but our tendency will be to shop and hop when it comes to church. If we find one thing we don't like, we leave. Or we make celebrities out of pastors and worship leaders, so we get to the point where we only really like learning from certain people. Like, I remember hearing a guy say, you know what, no one speaks to me like this one person. And I'm like, why? Because God's word is sufficient. And if someone's teaching it, 
you want to be open to receive that. But when we create these preferences, it basically creates a grid. And if we're only willing to learn from certain people, we're going to miss what God wants to do in our lives every single Sunday. Or we critique more than we apply. And so if we're not careful, when we leave church, you know what the question is we'll be asking? The question we'll be asking is, what did you think of church today? That's a critiquing question. The right question to ask is, what did God say to you today? Because if we're the temple of God, that means God is here. Like when we gather together, God is here. And if God is here and wants to speak to you, are you ready to hear from him? What an encouragement that can be to you and your friends or you and your family when you get in the car and you just ask the question, hey, what did God say to you today? That's when life change begins to happen. Can you just imagine if, if God's presence became precious to his people and we began to believe, hey, we are the temple of God collectively. Imagine what would happen here at Watermark if we really believe that. And so when we show up here on a Saturday night at 4 p.m. or Sunday mornings at 9 or 11.15 or 5 p.m., if we showed up with the conviction God is here and we get to meet with him, no one's spectating, no one's just watching, everyone's worshiping, everyone is collectively leaning in saying, God is here, I wanna meet with him, I wanna hear from him as we study his word, as we sing, I'm setting my gaze on him, I'm fixing my attention on him because he is holy, 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 he's worthy of all of my attention and affection right now. Just imagine how this place would change. We would hear more and more stories of people experiencing healing from the brokenness that comes from sin. We would see more and more people giving wholeheartedly of their time and of, of their money and of their, their talents to, to see the kingdom of God flourish here at Watermark. It, we, we would see revival in this place and it would overflow into our neighborhoods and into our families and into our workspaces. God is here. We're the temple of God collectively, but we can't stop there. The reason that I said that Jesus cared deeply about the temple and so should we, it's because we are the temple of God collectively, but not just that. Here's what you need to know. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says this, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Do you know what that's saying? It's saying that you're, we aren't just the temple of God collectively. Here's what it means. You are the temple individually. The Greek word here that has been translated temple, it means the sacred shrine, the sanctuary, the place where deity dwells. Do you understand that your body, if you know Jesus Christ, your body is a house for the living God? Like the living God, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, actually lives inside of you. So 
just think about this. If, if Jesus were to spend the day with you, and I believe that he does, but if he were to spend the day with you, is there anything in your life that he would look at and say, hey, that this has nothing to do with, with whether I love you or not. Like my, my love for you is not in question, but because I love you, I just need you to know that there are certain things in your life that have moved in and made themselves at home on the, the bookshelf of your soul that just don't belong anymore. Is there anything in your life that Jesus would look at and just say, look, I need to drive that out because it just, it doesn't belong. I use this, this example months ago, but it just seems fitting as we talk about your body being a house for God. The question that I encourage you to answer is, is, is the Holy Spirit renting or owning in your life? Like you think about renting, when you rent a place, it's not yours to do with what you want. Like you, you have to settle for the floor plan of the space. You've just got to live with the floor plan. You've got to live with the wallpaper if it's there. You've got to live with the paint color that is on the wall. You do the best you can with the space that has been given to you to rent. But when you own, you have complete freedom and you have complete authority to do what you want. When you realize that the Spirit of God lives inside of you, it's just good to ask and answer this question. Are you expecting the Spirit of God to rent or own in your life? Like, it's part of you like, that's great that you live inside of me, but I want to do what I want to do. Like, I, do, I need you to stay out of the room of romantic love. Because I want to do what I want to do. I need you to stay out of the room of, of my marriage because I'm going to do what I want to do in my marriage. I need you to stay out of the room of my work because I want to do what I want to do. I need you to stay out of the room of how I spend my money because I want to spend money on how I want to spend money. Or is there something in you that's like you can own? It, it's yours. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When we were moving from College Station to Dallas, at the end of December, I will never forget this, because it was, I woke up the morning, our final morning in our house in College Station. Like we had already signed documents. It was the day the movers were coming. We would never spend another night in that house again. And when I woke up, I walked out into the, our living room and what I realized was that one of my kids was half asleep the night before and when he walked through our den, he bumped this end table and there was a glass of water on it and the glass of water fell off without him realizing or me realizing and so that full glass of water, that water sat on the wood floors the whole night. And when I cleaned it up, what I realized is the wood floor had already begun to bubble up. And I panicked, and I was so stressed out. Why? Because that wasn't my house anymore. But what's interesting is that for the previous five and a half years, you know what? We lived with different nicks here, nicks there. There was a, there was a hole that a door had kind of hit and made a little dent. We lived with that for a little bit. There was, there was different things that we would live with when it was our home. 
But when I realized this isn't our place anymore, I began to care a lot about how we lived in it. And I just wonder if we, what our lives would be like if we began to develop that type of awareness, like, hey, our lives don't belong to us anymore. It just changes the way you live. Like, we would begin to think, hey, is, if God lives in me, is, is this what he wants, is this what God wants to be looking at right now? Are these the words that God wants coming out of his mouth right now? Is this how God wants me to be interacting with my kids who ultimately belong to him? Is this how God wants me stewarding my work, which is actually his work? Like it just changes the way that we begin to think and how we live. The temple existed for worship. Do you know why we say at the end of every service here, have a great week of worship? Because we're not thinking that you're just gonna go out and sing songs all week. No, when you live a life of surrender, where you say you don't just rent, you own, you know what the overflow of your life is? Worship. But you're either gonna spend your days fighting with the Spirit of God or surrendering to Him. And I'll just tell you this, the quickest path to a godly life is the path of surrender. So just imagine how different uh, your apartment or your home or your family or your neighborhood would be if each individual temple, when you leave here tonight and when you wake up tomorrow morning, you just begin to believe God is here. God is here. The overflow of your life would become worship. What do we do with a talk like this? Well, let me just encourage you. Let me just beg you, every weekend when you come to church, would you just begin to believe that you are coming to meet collectively with the temple of God, the people of God? Just imagine what would happen if every person stepped into this place believing God is here and we get to meet with him. And then let me just encourage you, every day this week, would you wake up, hit your knees, open up your hands and just say, God, you, you own the house. You own. I surrender to you. I want to say what you want me to say. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to look at what you want me to look at. I want to do what you want me to do. But you have complete control. Would you rule and reign in my life? But then realize this. It was Jesus that ultimately cleansed the temple. That's important to realize because that wasn't just an act of judgment, it was an act of mercy. You have to realize that in the end it was Jesus who cleansed the temple and it's Jesus that has cleansed your temple. Like the reason that the spirit of God can even live in you is because Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died for your sins and mine and then he rose from the dead. And when you put your faith in him, do you know what he's done? He's made you clean so that he can now live inside of you. And if you're here tonight and you don't know the cleansing power of Jesus Christ that comes through faith in him, if you've never put your faith in him, understanding what he's done for you, that's where it starts. See, we all need the gospel every single day of our lives. 
in the moments where, where you, you begin to act like you're renting or you're acting like the Spirit of God can rent but not own, even in those moments. We just need to be reminded that Jesus is the one who perpetually makes us clean. I'll close by saying this, the, the theme for Awaken Weekend is the rehearsal. And the thought behind it is that we want to rehearse now for eternity. We want to do now what we will do for all of eternity. And the idea of the temple has everything to do with eternity. See, we said that in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve, and it was a declaration, I'm here. And then in the tabernacle, as the nation of Israel wandered through the wilderness, they erected the, temp- the tabernacle, and God filled it with his presence of the declaration, I'm here. And then the temple, he did the same thing. But then Jesus Christ shows up and says, hey, the temple is no longer a building, it's a body. And Jesus came and he dwelt among us. And God, in the person of Jesus, declared, I am here. And now the temple of God is the people of God collectively. And so when we gather together, we can be confident God is here. But when you leave here... You are the temple of God individually. And so as you realize that the spirit of God lives inside of you, you can leave here confidently knowing God is declaring, hey, I am here. But then listen to what Revelation 21.3 tells us. It says this, this is a vision of the new heaven and new earth. This is eternity. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And that word dwelling place, it means tabernacle. The the tabernacle, the temple of God is with man. He will tabernacle with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. We will spend all of eternity confident God is here. So you want to rehearse for eternity? If we want to rehearse for eternity, then may the the presence of God become precious to his people. Let's pray together. Well, Lord Jesus, I thank you for that reality that you came and dwelt among us. You lived among us. You died for us, you rose from the dead, and then you sent your spirit to live inside of each one of us and to to fill us collectively as we gather together. We just thank you that you, God, are committed to being present with your people. I pray that your presence would become precious to us. I pray that that as we gather on the weekends for church, I pray that you would guard us from spectating or just watching. May we we worship you, believing that you're here. And as we go throughout the week, Lord, I pray that each one of us would realize that you own the house. So Lord, Would you just identify the things that have found a place on the bookshelves of our lives, the things that have just found a place and made themselves at home that don't belong? 
And I just pray that you would purify us, that you would purify us, your people. And I pray that the result would be greater worship. We need you. We love you. We sing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.